folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. Steve Williamson here. We're moving today to talk about issues um, very important to Sedona, but I guess to all the other little cities in um, Arizona. And the uh, title of the show is The State Versus the Cities. And the restrictions, the controls that the state puts on the ability of cities to solve problems like ATVs and uh, short-term rentals and so forth and so on. And uh, we have with us, a, first we have two uh, Sedona City Council humans, people. Uh, one is a close personal wife of mine, Jessica Williamson. The other is Holly Plug. And we're going to talk about this because what I hear, you know, as an individual is this constant complaints about issues that you, you guys tell me the city council can't solve. Can't you do something about the ATVs? Can't you do something about all these uh, uh, um, short-term rentals that are wrecking the town? Um, can't we have better traffic control? Can't we do this? Can't we do that? And the answer is that the city's kind of in chains. It's literally chained by state regulations and rules uh, and, and law. I have a list sitting in front of me that I stopped counting at 10 because that's kind of a high number for me to count to. Um, so I don't know where we want to start. Holly, you want to start? There's so many of these these issues, and I think what I hear most, of course, are ATVs, Airbnbs, and um, but there's a lot of new things going there. They're um, preempting the city's ability to uh, regulate tobacco, uh, particularly vaping and flavored cigarettes that are popular with kids. So, Jessica, you read about that. You want to start off with that then? Okay, Holly, go ahead. Yes, Steve, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Senate actually just passed a bill that within the legislation contains the preemption. And that's what happens. Uh, this is about tobacco. And that's what happens is that in the legislation that gets passed by our state legislature, there are uh, specific exemptions. And this one, even though it has been vehemently opposed by the League of Cities and Towns, by the healthcare industry and by school districts, uh, it, it has just passed on one branch of the government, waiting for the next one. And it would allow advertising, as an example, uh, you know, within so many feet of a school, advertising for cigarette use in this day and age is is, is startling to me. But of course. As you can imagine, it is endorsed and supported by the tobacco companies. I would have thought they would oppose it, uh, Holly, but uh, but that's not what what's happened. So the tobacco industry has vast amounts of money. They have political influence. They have lobbyists, and they're in favor of a bill like this. And I, how much debate even is is it before a, a bill like this gets through 
the, I guess it's gotten through the state Senate now and it's yes. headed for the House. How much debate do you think that there is on an issue like this? Are these things embedded where people don't even see them? I think that may be the case. The way I found out about it is that the League of Cities and Towns publishes on a uh, regular basis the status of bills that they either support or oppose. And this is one that is strongly opposed by the 90-plus cities and towns in our state, um, and and it gets reported out. So it's visible there. How visible is it to the person on the street? I, I'm not sure. So there, were, there were fifteen over 1,500 bills in this session, so it's hard to, to you know, that were uh, that were proposed, and the session is still on, so it's hard for people to know about every single uh, initiative and every single piece of legislation. Um, they, there's a old Arizona saying, "Thank God the the legislative session is over because of the number of really really bad bills that they." Um, but this is not about one bill. This is not about two bills. This is about a constant barrage of controlling what cities can do about the issues that affect the cities the most. So let's take Airbnbs or uh, short-term rentals, all right? What the state regulates what the cities can do about them. In other words, they set the rules that you can't regulate Airbnbs except within some very narrow parameters, which they only put in because the city screamed and yelled. Before we go any further, um, I just want to, we're talking about preemption. That's what we're talking about. The city preempting um, the authority of local jurisdictions. The state. Um, the state is preempting. It's known as, I'm quoting from something, some uh, some publication, which I don't remember what it is, but I really like this quote. Known as preemption laws, legislation sticking it to city councils on behalf of special interests is a cherished tradition in the Arizona capital. Um, and there's a law, which um, I'll talk about later, known as the mother of all local preemption bills, which grants state authorities the power to withhold funds from any city that defies state law. So if the tobacco law passed both houses and Sedona went and said, we don't want any vaping stuff going to kids, we don't want any flavored cigarettes in our town, then the state could sue the city, essentially, and, and withhold funds from the city that it would normally get as part. In other words, the city kicks in taxes to the state, and the state kicks them back to the city and county. There's this flow of It's of called money. state shared revenue. Okay. So they could cut, you off, cut Sedona off from state shared revenue. There's a bill called 1487 that does just that, and it was passed in... I don't remember, 2016. And what it says, because it was in response to Bisbee, Arizona, banning plastic bags, um, the legislature immediately stepped in and said, we, you are, cities are not allowed to ban plastic bags. Bisbee said, we're a charter city. We have our own charter. We can ban plastic bags. We're entitled to. The legislature said, my foot you're entitled to, um, and they passed a, a law that said no city or town 
can pass any law regulating in any way plastic bags. And that was done on the behest of of the Grocery Association. It was a, a lobbying effort. What happens is that any legislator can report um, any instance where they think a city or town has not followed state law, report it to the attorney general. The attorney general investigates. If they found that it's that, that it's true, then the city has 30 days to rescind the ordinance or have their state shared revenue taken away. In the case of Bisbee, their state revenue amounts to some $2 million a year. And they were forced to rescind their ordinance. Didn't this, this happen in to Sedona? Wasn't there a referral? Wasn't there a referral by actually the representative of our area? Ask another representative who wasn't running for reelection to um, uh, act in, in his behalf and and and. It, it caused a referral to the state, um, and there was a there was a regulation uh, issue. There was a ruling issued ab- about this. So, a single representative can refer this to the state to the state prosecutor, essentially the state. That's that's right, Steve. And it doesn't even have to be, as you pointed out, a representative from the area. So it wasn't a a representative. We have two representatives in the House and one in the Senate that are from, you know, that represent Sedona as part of a legislative uh, district. And uh, this referral was made by someone not representing our district on behalf of someone who was representing our district and didn't want his name on it. Um, I... It was also used, interestingly enough, to get back to one of your prior questions about short-term rentals. It was actually um, the Goldwater Institute. When um, when short-term rentals were first forced on Sedona, uh, just to go back a minute, before the state law on short-term rentals requiring cities to not control them at all, they were banned in Sedona. Um, the state law passed through. It was pushed through by Ducey in record time. Um, and the city had protested. And But when it was passed, the city attempted to get them licensed, for, uh, you know, required them to have business licenses since they are businesses. The Goldwater Institute got a legislator to refer that to the attorney general, and Sedona was forced to to move back from from requiring business licenses. So as far as I know, it's been used against us at least twice. When I look at the list of things, whether it's loud, noisy, muffler, or less ATVs, or Airbnbs, or plastic bags, or tobacco... Or some of the other issues, uh, like gas in buildings, can't ban gas in buildings. They seem, the state seems to be intervening, uh, 
most regularly in issues that are environmental in some way rather than than other issues. In other words, any time that a city tries to control environmental imp, uh, issues that are impacting it, the state intervenes. How much of it is is all right? How does a bill like the the one that that happened when Ducey? Um, interfered in what Sedona was doing with Airbnb, how much of that is a, is a lobbying effort? How much of it is ideology? Now, the Coldwater Institute is a, a highly libertarian thing. It wants no interference in what it considers private enterprise, and it wants it in such a radical way that, that there's almost nothing that would make them happy in terms of any kind of regulation of business, Unless it's requested, I suppose, by some of the businesses themselves. So, how do you, where is all this coming from? I guess is my question. Is it lobbyists? Is it lobbyists for the ATV people? Lobbyists for natural gas? Lobbyists for tobacco? Or is it some overriding ideology involved? Well, let's, so the answer is yes, 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 and yes. Uh, All of the above. The, the Goldwater Institute. Remember, we passed as a as a state Proposition 207, and that uh, proposition was really profound in that it protected private property rights. And explain a little more, Holly, about what exactly it, it says about a property right. You can't. Uh, you nobody can issue a law, regulation, etc that would diminish the value of private property. So in in other words, now that the short-term rental bill has passed and has been in effect for a number of years, people could claim that any restrictions uh, to the use of their property for short-term rentals would diminish the value that having an enterprise on their property, a business on their property, makes their property more valuable. And if you try to limit that value in any way, they can sue the city or they can sue the agency that that attempts to restrict it. And you can even sue for future uh, damages. So in other words, if uh, I intend to buy a property someday in the future... And or I live in a property right now in which I'm the I, I live there, but I want to in the future be able to use that property for short-term rentals and, and make money, and it becomes a business enterprise. I can sue for damages in the future if you limit if, if anybody tries to limit my ability to use that property. And remember, you're saying Airbnbs as we short-term rentals are not businesses, theoretically, or they're not regulated as if they were businesses. Well, that's the catch in there. The value of the property is based on its on its ability to be used as a business, and yet it can't be regulated as if it was a business. In answer to your question about where it's all coming from, I think Holly is right and you're right. It's coming from a variety of places. I think fundamentally the legislature is very, very right wing, libertarian based. I mean, look at 
look at our legislators from LD6. We have Wendy Rogers, who wanted to rename uh, State Route 260 Donald Trump Boulevard. Um, and we have um, Blackman, who consistently votes far, far right. Wants to criminalize abortion That's for right. women and doctors. The right. most, some of the most extreme anti-abortion legislation in the country has exactly. uh, been proposed by but the, yeah, Blackman. I'm sorry. You know? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. So, so part of it's this sort of ideology. I mean, the Goldwater Institute is a fairly small institute as institutes go nationally. If it was in Washington, it would be a medium-sized place. Here it has really, can really hit above its weight. It can have all kinds of impact on legislation. Uh, it has uh, a whole slew of lawyers that sue you if they you do anything they don't like. And um, the old saying about the Goldwater Institute is Goldwater wouldn't approve of it because it's too extreme even for old for old Barry if he would he would roll over in his grave, particularly in his later years. But it has a lot of impact in Arizona and it has a lot of impact, folks, not just on state general legislation, but how the state treats cities. And the cities don't seem to be able to fight back, or can they? Well, I, I just want to go back to, to the original premise, which is, except for charter cities that have their own charters, and there's like about 20 of them, 19, something like that, um, and the state doesn't even recognize that they have any individual control. There's 91 cities and towns in Arizona um, that are created, the majority of us, entirely by the state. We're creatures of the state. The state tells us how we can incorporate and what our powers are. Therein lies the real dilemma because it, it specifies powers, but it leaves a lot of things unaddressed, the state. And when the city moves in to do something in one of the areas that's on a, that's not addressed in legislation, the state has really two options. It can either say, well, we don't regulate that so you can, or it says, whoops, you don't have any rights except those which the state confers on you. Um, and if you move to do something that we haven't specifically and explicitly, explicitly said is within your power, we're going to step in and make sure you can't do it. So that's really the dynamic. And what you have then what what constitutes what is happening now in Arizona and actually across the country is you have more conservative ideological local um not local but state governments uh which we talked about earlier you also have um very intense lobbying here in Arizona by private industry. The construction industry traditionally has been very aggressive in getting state legislation to limit um, building codes throughout the city. But with the Airbnbs, the governor negotiated directly with Airbnb. In fact, the original legislation only dealt with Airbnb, didn't deal with the other platforms, VRBO or, VRBO or any of the other ones. 
Uh, you have the grocery association with the plastic bags. You have the gas association. So there's a number of, of things going on. But I think fundamentally, it's the legislature's um, Trumpist bait, Trumpist outlook and um, very, very right wing ideology that determines how this particular legislature is operating. So Airbnbs, I'll go to you, Holly, but Airbnbs have the ability, the possibility of really damaging Sedona. Maybe not uh, some other cities in Arizona, um, you know, a Cortez Junction or somewhere, but they have the possibility of damaging uh, Sedona by gutting literally the housing for for people who live here. Um, Airbnbs are still not going to be able to vote. It's only people who are residents of cities are going to be able to vote. But we might see serious declines in the population of uh, places like Sedona as Airbnb become more and more and more. It will impact the school system. Um, so it's not a theoretical issue, is it, Holly, that, that, that the, the city, Sedona cannot regulate Airbnb. It's not just something that it would be nice if they could do. It's something that's, when they can't do it, is really has the potential to damage the whole structure of Sedona society and, and government. Well, it does. It certainly has had a negative impact on neighborhoods and in some areas more than others. And, and people write to us all the time about the impact it's having on their uh, on their little uh, bird. You know, uh, they don't know their neighbors anymore. There's loud noise in party houses. There's uh, trash strewn all over the place. The city actually had to put in an ordinance on trash collection in order to combat this. We have a hotline where we take complaints about Airbnbs. But I think fundamentally, and more, and the density, you know, more people, the houses, the whole houses that are rented, you know, we may have an average of two people in a house, but it, in an Airbnb situation, you can have four, six, eight people sharing that house. So there's more people in town as a result as well. But uh, lots of numbers have been bandied about. Uh, as to what that actual effect is. And so Jessica and I asked for uh, the latest. Jessica, why don't you share those numbers with the audience? Well, as of April, within the city limits of Sedona, there are 488 single-family houses that are air, that have registered as Airbnb. In the Sedona area, there's an additional 243 houses uh, for a total of 731 houses. Now, if you, I did, I assumed that these houses have three bedrooms each since most of them are big. You have 1,464 units, bedrooms, in single-family homes here in, in, in Sedona, just in the city limits. That's just from the 488 in the city limits. I have people complaining all the time. They see five, six cars in front of, in front of a single-family home, and that makes a lot of sense. People 
are having reunions, they're having weddings, they're having all kinds of events, and the whole family gathers for a fun-filled weekend here in Sedona. What you end up with is is five or six cars on the road here in Sedona. You can con- you can uh, contrast that fourteen hundred and sixty four units of just single family homes. That's um, the total number of you of of homes. If you include the single family homes, you include the rooms in people's houses that they rent out. You include casitas. You include condos. You end up with 786 properties in Sedona. But you can just contrast the 1,464 rooms that are in single-family homes with the total number of hotel rooms here in Sedona, which is 1,574. So we have almost as many. We have more short-term rental rooms here in Sedona, then we have hotel rooms. And I hear people complaining all the time they don't want any more hotels. Yet we have more short-term rental rooms than hotel rooms and no way of, of controlling those at all. I hear now that people, in addition to being in residential areas, which is where they've been so far, um, investors are buying commercial property and they're building six units of um, of, Air, of Airbnb on commercial properties. Um, the ownership is also interesting. You have about a third of the ownership out of state, a third of the ownership in state, and a third of the ownership are people who live right here in Sedona. Um, and but I am that includes both single family homes and people who rent out their rooms and their casitas. Do you think you're capturing all the Airbnb type of rentals that are in Sedona? you think these figures are accurate or are there more of them? Are there people who are not registering or I don't know how they would do it, uh, some sort of gray market in, 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 in the kind of housing? I think this is a, an undercount. I mean, we... We don't know. We can count those people who have registered. We did. We did manage to get one little amendment or a couple of little amendments uh, to the original bill 1350, uh, which allowed us to at least track who is, uh, you know, and have a have the Airbnb. I use that as the as a generic yeah, term. Generic. Uh, to to register with the city so that we would and to have a person of uh, of authority named who could be contacted in the event of a complaint. Uh, so so we have those numbers, but I don't think that everybody is complying. I don't know that, but and I are imagine. Are you getting tax money? Yes, Holly, we are. You are convinced you're getting the tax money on the Airbnbs and and other rentals, short term rentals. Yes, I believe we are. But, you know, the extra money, is it worth what we're living through? I don't think so. I don't think that if you if you get extra tax revenue and then you have to use that plus more to mitigate the damages that that the that the Airbnbs are causing for us, I don't think it's really worth it. 
Yeah, I the thing is, I, I know in our neighborhood, we one time they had rented out a large Airbnb on the hill, and I think there were six, maybe seven ATVs roaring around the neighborhood, and these people were joyriding in our neighborhood in their ATVs. It's extremely loud. Uh, I went up there, and there's a very large circular driveway, and there's all these pickup trucks with ATV haulers. And so um, I thought, gosh, is this an ATV business up here that's gotten established, or is it just uh, it's just short-term rental? It turns out to be a short-term rental. But um, go ahead, Jess. I just want to go back to the whole issue. Short-term rentals is one issue. Um, that has been caused by the state legislature's preemption of local control. Before it was put in place, when we first heard about it, Sedona asked, specifically begged, to just be excluded, to be grandfathered as they do every other silly thing they do. There's only one or two other cities that had any ordinance regarding short-term rental and the gov- this was the governor's baby. He absolutely refused to do that and he just rammed it through and since the time <clears throat> that it was passed, the city has been just working really hard with other mayors, with the city uh, Arizona League of Cities and Towns, trying and, and lobbying legislatures <laughs> Our, our our own, to which is a total lost cause, as well as others. Um, every single year, there's legislation put in, bills put in, to try and give cities any kind of of imp- way to to regulate or control the influence. And every single year, they fail. Um, and my sense is they're going to continue to fail as long as we have this governor and this legislate legislature and um that said i know we're going to continue to put in bills and to try and get some meaningful reform i myself am not particularly i'm not at all convinced that we can do that and that this legislature will ever respond to the needs of of a community like sedona we're we're not the only one we aren't there are other uh municipalities that have suffered and and in and to piggyback to what Jessica was saying the, in this session of the legislature the bill that we supported was introduced by a prominent republican Kavanaugh and and uh and he couldn't get it through and uh and he ha- and and he represents an area that has been also Fountain Hills area, mm-hmm. yeah, which heavily has a impacted. Real problem with the party houses. Apparently, if you live in Phoenix, you get a party house in uh, in Fountain Hills. So even though he's a Republican, he had saw the light in the, uh, of a of a problem here. Let's turn from Airbnbs because they probably have the most impact on the character of Sedona. Um, and talk about ATVs, because the things that I hear about when I talk to people, the big complaints are ATVs are all over the place, or they're, uh, they're, or they're unregulated, they're noisy. How many of them can we possibly have? 
the people west of Sedona are seeing entire areas of the national forest just chewed up. And I, I tell people that when, when back when I drove Jeeps, we took people out to the west of Sedona at sunset so we could look back at the formations and this quiet area and the little jackrabbits would hop around and stuff. Now it's um, a vertebral a vertical, vertical zoo <laughs> uh, of ATVs, and um, they're ripping up even the old Jeep roads because there's no regulation on the speed you can use an ATV. There's no regulation. You can just roar around. And what's really fun, actually, is to treat the wilderness, the national forest, as if it's a amusement park. That you're on some kind of a, a little vehicle that you can roll around and do no harm. But you're actually ripping up, tearing up rocks, scaring our remaining critters. Well, you know, they are street legal. And this, again, is one where they're regulated by the, by the state. Or unregulated by the state. And we are prevented from regulating them. For being more restrictive. People really don't understand, city council humans. They really don't understand why you can't do anything about ATVs. They really don't. I'm talking about ordinary people. I they really don't. I can explain what you explained to me, sort of, to them. But they, <laughs> they don't understand why you can't do something about ATVs, why you can't do something about ATVs. And, and the rest of this, why you can't ban plastic bags, whatever it is. They don't understand why you can't do this as a city council. Well, if you think about it, once you get a license plate and you have met the minimum requirements, you are, that, that ATV is street legal, just like a, a, a truck, a car, an SUV, a, a motorcycle, motorcycle. Right. <laughs> or, or anything else. And so... What the state has done is they've required certain equipment uh, to be installed, uh, you know, like lights and mirrors and things along those lines. Uh, but they, we would go further. We would, and they, and you have to have a muffler. But I think in terms of noise, hours of operation, uh, speed. You know, we would, we would, if we had the authority, go further. Now, one of the things, however, if you look at st of, of the, the way maybe incentives as opposed to regulations, one of the ATV companies has actually uh, installed a device that prevents the, uh, the ATV from exceeding 40 or 45 miles per hour. And they did that because... What, this is a rental company. Once they're returned, the ATVs themselves are not in great shape. If you're doing exactly what you had indicated before, Steve, in in uh, going off road and chewing up not only the the land but chewing up the vehicle itself. So they they uh, they did this. Drive it like a rental. Yes, <laughs> right. You don't wash a rental car, right? Uh, but. Uh, they they've done that and uh, and they've done it for their own. I mean, it helps us in the sense that it at least has a speed limit, but also for their own self interest. And uh, and we've I'm on a committee that's working on this issue across uh, the Forest Service, the county, the uh, 
the county, uh, the sheriff's office, uh, and other organizations because a, a lot of times the the rental. And by the way, there are plenty of 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 personally owned vehicles, you know, the ATVs that people are bringing here. But in terms of the rental companies, uh, they're also been involved, and the city has done a number of working groups to try to come up with some ways in which to respond to this. But the current working group includes people who live out on 525 and 152, which are the areas uh, right outside city limits, uh, Boynton Pass Road and in those areas where we're having particular issues right now, including trees and dust and pollution and all kinds of different issues. But, it, you know, it, when they, they say it takes a village, it takes a village. We've got at least four, five, six, seven different organizations involved. Because if they rent them here in Sedona, the rental companies may be uh, located here. But a lot of times the activity is taking place outside city limits. One of the things I think is... Um is important to know is that this the city didn't ignore this issue um a couple of years ago the city put together a working group of residents and owners in the city and uh, they met over and over and over and over again to try and find some way to address primarily within the city the noise issue of, of particularly up and down Dry Creek Road. I, I mean, I hear them on Dry Creek. Um, I think they're driving some of the neighbors absolutely crazy. You know, the rental companies, in fact, some they have, I think, expanded tremendously since the time we had that um, that particular committee. And there was literally no way. There's no reason that the rental companies would do anything it'll cost them money and they're not required to and the city has has no no way of influencing what they do and what they don't do they're very nice and they promise to work with us blah 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 but this is another case where the state's regulations prevent us from taking any action um, here in the city um, to regulate those vehicles. Um, we keep hoping, we keep working with them. Um, there's some, I think there are some technical issues that I'm not familiar with having to do with mufflers and having to do with, as Holly alluded to, the life cycle of these machines, if they turn over, if they're expensive to, to retrofit and they turn over frequently, um, I'm assuming it's a money issue that prevents the companies from saying, yeah, sure, we'll do that to be a good neighbor. So far, they haven't said that. The um, other issue, of course, I hear about is traffic. And I know there was this uh, our uh, local newspaper has one of the most bizarre editorial pages <laughs> in the known universe. Uh, I I don't know why we don't have someone, I don't know, sensibly, I don't care whether it's conservative or liberal or, or middle of the road, why we don't have someone who's, who's non-over-the-top kind of 
about this. But um, and I looked at one of the letters to the editor, and he said, "Well, I in 1980 something or other, I suggested that Sedona pave Snebley Hill Road and and um, put a bridge across Red Rock Crossing. So why didn't Sedona do these things?" I'd like to talk about Red Rock Crossing because I uh, that is uh, both both sides of the crossing are outside of city limits. Oh, oh, outside the city limits. Why doesn't the city build things outside the city limits? Good question, Steve. <laughs> but recently, I, th- I think it's important to note that a lot of people have suggested that Red Rock Crossing reopen. And and uh, the city in the last transportation study looked at that option, not that, again, that it would be up to the city to do, but looked at that option along with paving Schnebley Hill Road and a number of other uh, different options. But uh, recently, as in 2020, then-supervisor Randy Garrison uh on behest of the f- folks in the village of Oak Creek who, who do have a big impact. You know, there's a big impact on traffic and their ability to get to Sedona in a timely way. Uh, and it would certainly impact all the houses along what's now a street. And when you turn it to the highway, other thing, just one thing, Holly, I want to digress to is that another suggestion that somebody was saying is couldn't you have stickers for locals and not allow uh, people from the rest of Arizona to drive on this road? Oh, are we on Verde Valley School Road? What road are we on right now? Uh, Verde Valley School Road to Red Rock Crossing. Okay. In other words, ban everybody but Sedonans and, and, and Village of Oak Creek people from ban- driving on the road. You'd have to have a sticker. I guess you'd have a sticker police to make sure that you had a sticker. Right. Well, that'd be up to the county. But but the uh, my point is that that there was a lot of of suggestions about Red Rock Crossing coming from village residents and others, uh, but primarily village residents. And and uh, when the county looked at that potential very recently in 2020, it was voted down by the same people. Well, they vote they they not necessarily against a connection; they're against having to pay for it. <laughs> Which is <laughs> now in response to your question about why we don't pave Schnibley Hill Road, oddly enough, that's not in the city either. It's it's forest land. Um I don't know who thinks the city has money for projects it would be billions. Apparently, the Red Rock uh, oh, yeah, News exactly. thinks, they think thinks that uh, the city can pave Snebley Hill Road, and then you can take your money and you can put a road across um, Red Rock Crossing. And I don't know what else he has in mind for you to do with the money. Well, anyway, we've run out of time, and I have a couple of announcements before we end the show. Thank you both for being with us. This is something we're going to have to discuss periodically, and there are so many issues, folks, that I can't even get to all of them. Um, Great news. The door office has reopened. Yes, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., the Zoom breakfasts are continuing. The next one is May 20th, and the topic and speakers are to be announced. 
the Dwarf Film Club is cooking along really well, and uh, lots of people uh, uh, watching film. League of w- Women Voters of Northern Arizona Education Program, Monday, May 10th, at from 1 to 2.30, um, via Zoom, Fair Maps for Fair Elections, uh, redistricting Arizona. So these are all things you can check out on the DOOR website, folks. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, Steve Segner's uh, El Portal, uh, the most pet-friendly <laughs> hotels in the, in the country. And um, thanks, Steve and, and El Portal. Uh, we really recommend you, you suggest it to folks who are visiting uh, Sedona. Next week, we'll be talking to Juan Cole, um, Juan Coles, distinguished professor of, uh, of history, University of Michigan. He's an expert on the Middle East. And we'll be talking about the other Middle East. We all think of the Middle East as this area with all piety and religious restrictions and stuff. But uh, beginning with Omar Khayyam, and uh, there's an alternative history, an alternative culture to the Middle East over all the piety and religion. Thank you for being with us, folks. Check us next week. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.